Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I'm the co-host, George. Hey, guys. Hey, we got new mics. Sure mics. S-H-U-R-E mics on the podcast. Maybe you could tell it's a little bit more high quality. That's just nice. I it, feel I, I sound like like an angel right now. I, I like the, I like the way you sound. Thanks. Uh, thanks to everybody who donated at Philcraft on Venmo. We don't make a lot of money on this podcast. If we're providing you value, you can go to Venmo at Philcraft one word and throw us some cash. We take that cash and turn it straight back into the equipment. And we just bought these sure mics. Thanks to you guys. I appreciate all the uh, valuable feedback and viable commitment to the podcast, oh, the yeah. Craft Survival Podcast. I don't know if you knew this, but we're ranking in the top five on I iTunes. I saw it. I saw it. I always check it like once a week just to stay humble. Yeah, but you check my feed. It's pretty cool. Well, we we the podcast we just did with Sean Ryan, which big shout out to Sean at Vigilance Elite. It's number three right now. Oh, nice. Because it on, was what, four this morning? Well, it was, it was four on the podcast. Oh, okay. We're the number three episode out of all nice. the two, top 200. Wow. And that's tens of thousands of podcasts. Yeah. Damn, man. That's great. Yeah, it feels great. It feels great. And, and I just, it, without you guys, without your support, we wouldn't even be at the top. Today's podcast is the Tactical Review Podcast. We're going to cover a whole bunch of different events that have been going on in the news that you guys are probably privy to. Some of it, your own feedback. Also answer questions from you guys from Instagram. I always put the, before a Tactical Review Podcast, I'll put you guys questions on, on blast, and then I go through and answer as many as I can on that podcast. So looking forward to that. Um, this podcast is sponsored by KillCliff.com. You're a big fan of KillCliff. I love KillCliff. I drink every, uh, so I work out every morning with Raul. We do like a 30 to 45 minute workout and I do the Ignite first. Oh God, the KillCliff challenge. And then I do the Endure while I'm working out and then I do Recover. Either I do like a regular Recover or I'll do a CBD Recover. It just depends. That CBD Recover is so it's good, man. amazing. My favorite is the CBD Recover. I can't wait for other flavors to come out in that. I carry a cooler of CBD <laughs> recovers everywhere, and I've been stealing them from the shop because yeah. you guys are greedy, man. Yeah, I, I try to hide them, but you find them. I'm going to drink another one right after this podcast. Yeah, might as well. Um, also, this podcast is sponsored. Oh, you guys. <laughs> we have a coupon code for oh, Kill man. Cliff. Oh, man. And it's Survival10. Survival10. It saves you 10% every time you use it, so. Might as well, right? Yeah, we wouldn't stand behind any products, especially drinks. I mean, I don't want to yeah, stand yeah. behind drinks that are kind of crap. Um, Killcliff does great things for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Great drinks, great company, great people. Survival10 at killcliff.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by TriarchSystems.com. I just turned my 17 Charlie, which is a ported barrel, into a comp production USPSA mm. gun. Mm. Um, I'm also turning into a carry optics gun. And I'm going to use that for carry optics. Nice. It is on the approved list as long as you don't have a ported barrel in your 17, uh, Charlie. My gun, my TriarchSystems.com uh, gun, is has thousands of rounds to it. That thing is flawless. I just cleaned yeah. it for the first time, and it was grimy. It was, <laughs> it, it was disgusting. But now I shot it this weekend at the uh, pistol course, working and operating flawlessly. Nice. One of my favorite guns. I do run a Cagworks uh, extended slide catch on my gun because I got big hands and it's hard to. Uh, I need to get one of those hamburger helper hands is what I yeah. call them. You got to get one of them. They're essential. But big shout out to Triarch Systems. You guys could use Phil Craft one word to save five percent on a build or on anything that TriarchSystems.com sells, and that's T R I A R C Systems.com. George, I'm about to kick off this podcast. Let's man. do it. I'm excited. Here we go. 
Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tactical Review Podcast on the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm actually tuned in to Facebook Live because my Instagram Live has been banned on Fieldcraft Survival. That's at Fieldcraft Survival on Instagram because I posted a video in which I even censored the particular video but talked about how important it was that you maintain your Second Amendment rights. So let me say that again. I was, uh, yesterday when people started posting about what was going on, I decided, hey, I'm going to post a video, but I'm not going to show the people that were killed. And so I blurred it with a censored mark and Instagram uh, decided to take that video down after hundreds of thousands of views They take it down, and then they banned my ability to do live feeds on Instagram. ABC News, ABC News posted the same exact video where they froze the video and then blurred out the people who were shot and engaged, and obviously their account is up and running. I think it's because social media world that is based mostly out of Silicon Valley in the San Francisco area, which is obviously liberal for the wrong reasons, Um, they have a problem against me talking about second amendment rights. It doesn't fit the narrative. I I mean, I, I screen captured four different news, uh, media outlets this morning and looked at the difference in headlines between conservative and liberal ideology. And obviously the second amendment right doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the narrative that guns are bad and guns only do bad things to good people. When the reality is, guns don't do anything to good or bad people. People do bad things to good people or bad people. So, you know, on this Tactical Review Podcast, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. We're actually going to ask questions on Facebook Live. I will make this a trend because even though Facebook owns Instagram, there's different um, segments. They operate a little bit decentralized, but it's only a matter of time before my account gets banned like many accounts that I know and many businesses that I know on social media, on Instagram specifically. It's only a matter of time. I'm, I'm surprised that I still have my account on Facebook. In fact, they banned my ability to advertise on Facebook because they said I had uh, talked about knives and knives are weapons. They're, they're very bad. Cars are weapons. Baseball bats are weapons. Hammers are weapons. In the hands of psychopath deranged killers. That's the real answer. So this this episode of the Tactical Review Podcast, if you've never tuned in to this before, it's an episode where we talk about the latest current events, natural and man-made disasters, and how they relate to us being better prepared. And that's super important in today's world because things change rapidly. As the enemy changes their tactics, so do we. We have to change our tactics as well. Just a quick footnote, I will be in Dallas, Texas, which is um, where this shooting took place, a couple miles outside of Dallas. I'll be in Dallas, Texas on Friday. Actually, I'll be in Arlington, Texas on Friday, teaching a survival seminar and Stop the Bleed at 511 Tactical from 5 to 6.30. You can go on Facebook, you can go on 511 Tactical and sign up for that course or just show up. Uh, Again, 511 Tactical in Arlington, Texas this Friday which I believe is the third. It is the third of January. It's a good way to kick off the uh, new year. I'll also be in Dallas, Fort Worth, teaching on the 4th and 5th, pistol on the 4th, and carbine on the 5th, 
as well as Series California on January 18th and 19th. On, on the 18th, we are teaching our first uh, no-light, low-light course that evening for anybody who's interested as well. Uh, lastly, I'll be in Golden, Colorado on February 1st and 2nd, teaching a LEO and mill-only pistol carbon course for Saturday and Sunday. Look, let's get to the tactical review. I want to talk about some things that have happened, uh, and I'll remind you about these situations and these circumstances to make sure uh, that you have the latest and greatest information. Let's first talk about the Virginia governor, the Virginia governor who decided to um, increase gun control in his state and come out of the woodwork with some pretty broad statements. You know, it, it, it became popular in social media when he said that he would activate the National Guard. Uh, the governor of, of Virginia said that he would activate the National Guard in order to protect the citizens and potentially, potentially uh, confiscate illegal weapons because all the sheriffs, for the most part, we're talking two dozen sheriffs and two dozen counties, said we will have a 2A sanctuary if these laws are implemented. Remember, the General Assembly, the Virginia House and Senate for the first time in two decades, is controlled under a Democratic um, uh, governor. Again, the Senate and the House for the first time in two decades, that's a generation, is now controlled by the uh, Democrats. And the governor said that he would increase gun control, uh, come up with new laws, including confiscation. Confiscation. He since has redacted that statement and stated he would give a clause and he would give an amnesty period where people who have the guns could be grandfathered in but have to register those guns. So let's just talk about this case in point. Imagine you're a law-abiding citizen on Monday morning. On Tuesday morning when you woke up, you were a felon because that's what he's saying. The governor of Virginia has stated that he will implement this law, and everybody who's violating this law uh, will be a felon. This is coming from the Virginia governor, Ralph Northam. Um, so on Tuesday morning, you were a felon. And the reason you're a potential felon is, let's say they give you the amnesty period. So Tuesday morning, you wake up, and you're not yet a felon, but you have been identified through the, through the state system of looking at who's purchased firearms and determining who has now made the warrant list. So now you're the Department of Justice for Virginia, and you go to your local uh, sheriff's department, and you say, listen, I want you to serve all these warrants on all these people. All these people have been noted as having a gun, but we're going to give them the opportunity to turn their guns in. Let's say you're, you're Joe Schmo, and you have five AR-15s having been identified by the Virginia Department of Justice. So you have five AR-15s, and in two weeks, let's call it 30 days because that's probably more reasonable because the Virginia governor, governor is a reasonable person. He says then 30 days from Tuesday, you have to turn in or you have to report all five AR-15s. So 30 days go by. Let's say you decide, you know what, you're only going to turn in or you're only going to uh, register three of the five of those firearms. So now you're on the list as being one of the people who didn't register your illegal felony um, ticketed AR-15. So now you are on the deck, 
the target deck. In special operations, we used to have target decks and we would prioritize high value targets over normal targets. So imagine you're a sheriff of a, of a local county. Let's say Culpeper County. Culpeper County Sheriff gets notification from the Department of Justice that we have to execute these warrants. So now the sheriff of that county has a high-value target list of the worst criminals in his county who have warrants, high-risk warrants, for actually committing a violent crime. But now the Department of Justice comes in and says, listen, we need to serve these warrants on these people who 30 days before were law-abiding, now they're felons. Can you imagine being in the sheriff's shoes? Not only being dictated and told what you must do, but being told that, hey, those high-value targets of people who are actually committing crimes, who are actually affecting their community, now you have to roll them to the bottom because we want to, we, we want to make a statement in the state of Virginia with these gun laws. And so now you have to go, you have to go through the list and go, okay, now I know who John is. He's, he, he works at a, a local church. I know who Chuck is. He works at the VA hospital. Oh, Todd? Yeah, Todd knows my wife. He works at the hospital as a nurse. We're going to serve these warrants and make them felons and put them in jail for being law-abiding citizens for reckless laws that are invented, invented on potentially stopping crime that's potentially going to happen. In fact, I just heard another report where he said that he would limit the number of pistols as an addition to his other laws, to one a month. Because that's going to stop a criminal from committing an act of violence against innocent people. Oh, I have a limitation on guns. Yeah, that's definitely going to hurt my ability as a bad person who exploits weakness in innocent people from committing acts of violence. Statistically, statistically, 40,000 people a year in the last couple of years have died from firearms. That's an estimate. 39,000 plus, we call it 40,000, 60% of that number were killed from those firearms by suicide. Less than 1% to 2% on average, depending on what source you look at, utilized AR-15s. The one thing which has been deemed a weapon of war is 1% to 2% of overall deaths associated with firearms. The overwhelming majority, pistols. So if we go after your AR-15s and AK-47s, what's next? Obviously, what's next is the pistol, the shotgun, the deer rifle. But we don't talk about that right now because that's next on the agenda. And I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be conspiracy. I don't want to make there seem like there's a conspiracy. But maybe it's not even a conspiracy. Maybe it's just a deliberate plan because this is very overt. For the government to come out and say, we're going to take your guns, your AR-15s, your AK-47s. Over a dozen, over two dozen counties, including Prince William County, Stafford County, Culpeper County, have stated openly they will not enforce any of these new gun laws. They offered Second Amendment sanctuaries, which deemed by experts has been determined to be... Um, a symbolic gesture. Symbolic gesture. I don't think it's symbolic when you have a sheriff, for example, the Culpepper sheriff, who said he would deputize 
Culpeper County said he would deputize thousands of law-abiding citizens in his county to defend the Second Amendment against the Department of Justice in Virginia. I wouldn't call that um, symbolic with no legal effect, in quotations, as Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring described. He said such laws have no legal effect and proclamations are largely symbolic. (laughs) I think it's largely literally I don't think it has anything to do with symbology when a, when a sheriff in his own county says, we won't enforce those laws because they're not. That's tangible. That's real. That's not symbolic. And then I'm assuming when confronted with the Department of Justice and they refuse to do so, you're talking about a civil war in Virginia. I mean, we, we talk about this in media like it's not a big, big deal. It is setting a precedent for the nation of what happens when the governance of a state tries to come into the governance of a county or city and state their position and enforce laws that go against their constitution. It's not wise. It's not a wise decision. There has been back uh, backstepping from uh, Ralph Northam's uh, campaign on, on guns. He wants to include universal background checks and handgun purchasing of limit of one per month with an assault weapons ban. And in January, meaning in a couple days, we're going to see what happens because he's about to kick it off. Again, this is the same gentleman who professed that he would go after your firearms and confiscate them and potentially activating the National Guard to get those guns from you. I don't think that's a, a very smart thing to do. Let's move on to something uh, in a similar context about the situation in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the acting sitting governor of that, or the acting sitting mayor of that state, told law enforcement officers in his uh, state of the city or state of the uh, uh, of Minnesota um, what he was going to do. He said, We're going to be the first city in America to ban warrior mindset training for police officers on and off duty. Let me say that again. We are going to be the first city in America to ban, meaning he wanted to set the president, of banning warrior mindset training for officers on and off duty. I mean, let me just state out loud that I want my officers to be trained. Talking to somebody or speaking from somebody who has trained law enforcement officers for almost two decades, there is a huge deficiency in basic academic and tactical training for officers who hit the streets on patrol. I mean, that's, that's always been the case, right? I mean, how many, how many agencies are there in the, in the United States that are bragging about their position with their budgets and training uh, in academies who, who brag about how, many, how much ammo they're getting to train on their on-duty and off-duty time, how, how big their budgets are for training as unlimited because they're training them because that's what matters. There's not many of those departments. There are outliers. In fact, the outliers that I've experienced are, are agencies that work with venture capitalists, capital investors, 
or wealthy people who want to support their local law enforcement agency. I mean, let me say that again. Rich people helping departments is how most of these departments are actually getting the training. Most departments, that's not what happens. And so I don't think um, officers are trained enough. And so I want them to have training. Now, the debate here stems from a shooting that took place, I believe, in 2016 with an officer in Minneapolis, which was since uh, let off the hook for this shooting, where it involved him after taking a Dave Grossman, uh, who was a retired lieutenant colonel, former Army Ranger, and West Point uh, professor, who wrote the book On Killing and On Combat, that taught a seminar called um, Killology and a broader seminar of warrior mindset. Now, you have to understand that words uh, often are used against people. And when you say killology, you think, ooh, that's bad. We're teaching officers killology. When killology, the seminar, doesn't teach people how to kill people, it teaches people the propensity of people not to kill people statistically proven in war and in, and in circumstances that involved gunfights where 20% of the military were found not to engage uh, in combat or direct combat in engaging the enemy because they didn't want to be involved with killing or taking somebody else's life. So what you have to understand too is as an law enforcement officer who deals with this shit on a constant basis, you are the shield between good and evil. And there might, might be a circumstance, depending on the department, maybe every single day where you are exposed to hazardous circumstances where you need to be prepared to defend your life. Instead, this mayor looks at it as paranoia and going against community policing principles. Man, I think this mayor forgot that when an officer or first responder is dispatched, he's dispatched, he or she is dispatched because someone dialed 911, meaning somebody called and said, hey, something bad is taking place. Not the best case scenario, or we're hoping for you to come up and mediate in a conversation, but the worst case, people are dying, people are injured. There is somebody in fear of their life. And then you're saying, because you think that mindset training is negative and you want to set a precedent for your city uh, in order to set the precedent for the rest of the nation that you want to ban it. Well, that didn't work out for this guy. Every law enforcement union and agency stated they would not enforce that law. In fact, they created, they created their own mindset training and started teaching their own. Mindset is the foundation. Let me call it this. Mindset is the umbrella that is the resiliency that shields you from stress, from making mistakes, from cowering in the fetal position. It is essential in your ability to cope with stress and fight through a difficult circumstance. And I imagine in the city of Minneapolis and in the state of Minnesota that those law enforcement officers are seeing that on a daily basis. Because we don't call law enforcement officers to come out and be the shield between good and good. We do so between good and evil. 
Again, another case in point of politicians getting in positions of power and affecting our safety on, the, on, the, on our day-to-day basis. From policing to just being a citizen. How about you do yourself a favor and govern and improve the economy, improve the homeless situation, help, help our schools and education, and focus on policy that affects human beings in a positive way. Instead of worrying about law-abiding citizens or law-abiding police officers doing their jobs, how about you focus your attention on criminals, pedophiles, murderers, and rapists instead of focusing on the law-abiding? All right, let's move on. So you guys heard about this UPS um, situation that took place in Florida. Completely... uh, one of the most difficult things to watch in seeing the helplessness of that UPS driver who's taken hostage uh, inside of his vehicle and the circumstances in which the police officers had to deal with on I-95. 21 police officers left 195 shell casings at the scene of Miramar, according to Florida Law Enforcement Department Special Agent Troy Walker in Miami-Dade. It started in the morning when these guys robbed a jewelry store got in a high-speed pursuit, and hijacked, hijacked, carjacked a UPS uh, truck. As they hijacked it, they got in traffic and got in, exchange, got in an exchange of gunfire on Highway 95 where two people who were innocent were killed. One, a 70-year-old motorist by the name of Richard Cutshaw, sitting in traffic, minding his own business, caught in the crossfire, and unfortunately lost his life. The second, the driver, uh, Frank Ordonez, who was the hostage that was killed uh, inside that UPS truck on Highway I-95. Now, there has been speculation that these these officers and these bad guys in the exchange of bullets uh, at some point accidentally killed the UPS driver and potentially uh, killed the 70-year-old male. I won't speculate because I haven't heard anything uh, to state that. But I will state here tactically in looking at the tactical scenario, because this is the Tactical Review Podcast, and what I saw was a bunch of officers trying to do their best with what they were dealt with. Yes, there are people who have criticized the crossfire, the amount of people. My biggest issue is not with the individual officers, but with the institutions. And let me spell out why. The majority of the 21 officers that were involved in the shooting were holding were holding pistols, not carbines, but pistols. Most of these officers had standoff from the UPS truck in excess of 15 yards. So if I take all the agencies and the patrol officers that I've trained in marksmanship and combat marksmanship, Meaning, meaning tactical uh, fighting, uh, gunfighting. I can tell you right now that the majority of them, the majority of anybody, uh, is not trained to engage a, a, bad, a bad guy beyond 15, 25 yards as routine. Routine is the proximity in which statistically law enforcement officers would find themselves in a gunfight, which is 12 feet. That's an FBI statistic. That's a decade uh, 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 taken FBI statistic. I think it was 2003 to 
2013. 12 feet, within 12 feet. So you take these officers and their standoff, under stress, in kit. They just got out of their patrol vehicles. They're running down the highway and engaging this UPS truck with pistols. That's my problem. Because if these guys and gals of law enforcement had AR-15s, then then their uh, accuracy on target and the muzzle velocity and energy effect, external ballistic effect on target would be greatly increased. What do I mean by that? Well, if you take a pistol, which has an average, let's say call, let's call it a thousand feet per second out of the, out of the muzzle of that barrel. And it varies between the calibers between 45 and nine mil, but you're looking at a projectile that's nine millimeters wide traveling at about a thousand feet per second. Now, its ballistic effects externally on the, on the target will grossly affect the good and bad that are being engaged. What I mean by that is, let's say you're a good guy and you're in the back of that vehicle and that vehicle's getting hit with 9 mil spalling through the inside of that interior. That, that UPS truck is made of thin sheet, uh, thin sheet metal, thin sheeted steel. Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't even be surprised if panels of it were aluminum. So it's like like cutting through butter. Now I got a 9 mil round, which is traveling at lower muzzle velocity. And I say low in the context of comparing it to an AR-15, which is 2,700 feet per second and above, depending on the weapon system in the round. Uh, You are at a huge disadvantage. Now I take that AR-15 and I'm behind an optic. Let's call it an aim point, a vortex, whatever optic you want that has a two, minimum of two, maybe three MOA dot on it, meaning the, the dot is the width of three inches at 100 yards represented. Then I can aim small, miss small on a, with a stable platform that I can control with both hands. There's a huge advantage for a law, law enforcement officer that's shooting a weapon system traveling 2,700 feet. 50 feet per second in average with a more lethal round with more accuracy, more effects on target. I won't even go into ammo capacity and shot string analysis and speed, but it's just a more stable platform. But how many of these officers are armed with AR-15s? I know departments who issue their officers AR-15s and they have to keep them in the trunk of their vehicle. I know officers who are allowed to have AR-15s, but they're locked in the center console of their vehicle in which they have to keep them unloaded. So you're an officer driving to the scene in a high-speed pursuit with, the, with a, a bad guy, two bad guys in this instance, who are shooting at innocent people, and you have to put them down. Your AR-15 is locked in between you. You're trying to unlock it, and you're pulling up to the scene, and you have to unass your vehicle to fight the threat. Do you have the time to lock and load your AR-15? Probably not. Do you have time to figure your shit out on the fly? Probably not. Turn on your EOTech even. Turn on your aim point even. Do you have the time? Probably not is the answer. So why would I not arm my officers with AR-15s or capable weapon systems? Have we not learned from the 1990s shooting in Hollywood where 17 officers were injured and two men with AK-47s dominated the space where officers had to go in to privately owned gun stores in, in California, which now don't exist, to arm themselves to combat evil on the streets when they were out, outgunned 
not outnumbered. 17 officers were injured. Luckily, not one of them killed. But they were outgunned because the police were using pistols and the bad guys were using 762 by 39 and AK-47s. So we need to better arm and train our officers in order to confront this type of evil in a time-sensitive situation. I think being in a high-speed pursuit with a pursuing felon, with somebody who's fleeing, is that circumstance. How many times are officers pursuing fleeing felons every single day in America? It's probably a lot. That tactic alone should warrant the use of AR-15s, where when I grab my AR-15, it's zeroed. I'm using a micro T, maybe some magnification. The optic is on. I grab that gun, I know the zero of that, of that gun and its capability and hold off at distance. And I'm able to go to work and save lives. I think if we had officers that had that capability, you wouldn't have seen the, uh, the buckshot effect on that UPS truck where there were hundreds of rounds a total of 200 rounds were fired, hundreds of rounds on the side of that UPS truck, not where they should have been. Some people armchair quarterback and go, well, how can you judge that, their accuracy? Well, I'm judging their accuracy based on the shots on the side of the vehicle that are obviously going into the UPS truck. And again, I'm not blaming the officers because officers in those circumstances have to do what they have to do to protect the innocent life around them. Highway I-95 was crowded and packed at the time, and so they had to do what they had to do. What I'm stating is that if officers were better trained and better equipped, then you wouldn't have seen that buckshot effect on the side of that UPS. I talked to two Alabama police officers that came and talked to me recently. Uh, they, they came in here in the shop, and we talked about uh, Alabama officers who were killed. They were a couple, a married couple. Nine police officers this year in the state of Alabama have been killed. Birmingham, Alabama is ranking uh, in the top numbers for the highest number of killed, which is judged based off of uh, casualties or murdered per 100,000. The average in that scheme for the top is 50 to 60 murders per 100,000. That's a high crime statistic and probability of you becoming a victim in those inner cities or those cities. Right now, we're looking at Baltimore, who just broke the, the standing record, which is the second highest in Baltimore history, and there's still a couple days left in the year. Baltimore's in the hundreds of murdered uh, per capita. I think they're 57 per 100,000 now. I talk about Chicago often, but last year in 2018, they ranked 12th overall. Baltimore is uh, second currently out of all the cities. St. Louis, I believe, is number one. But we, get, we, again, have only a couple days left before the end of the new year. And who knows? We are living in dangerous times. Overall, the murder statistics nationwide have decreased. Overall. But specific cities have increased their murder rate. And a lot of these uh, cities have increased in overall violence. Is it safer? That's relative. If you live in Prescott, Arizona, it's safe. There, I don't think there's been a murder here in, in decades. The last murder was in Chino Valley or Prescott Valley years ago. It's pretty relatively safe here. Sure, there's drugs. Sure, there's petty crime. 
but it's relatively safe. You say, can you say the same thing for Baltimore, for the inner city of Chicago, for St. Louis, Missouri? You can't. And so would I tell you that your level of preparedness and your mindset and your equipment should dictate based off the environment that you operate in? Absolutely not. You know why? Because yesterday in a church outside of Dallas, Texas, a man walks into the church with a shotgun underneath his trench coat. I read a news story this morning where the daughter of one of the victims said that he looked odd. And his father, who was one of the parishioners, who was doing the communion, leading the communion, who's an African-American uh, father, by the way, and I'll just mention that because uh, people say this is white America, this is what happens in white America. The, first, the second victim who was shot was African-American, who was a nurse. Um, his daughter mentioned to him that he looked weird and different and out of place. And the father, and, I, and I'm not quoting this, it's something around this, said, give him a chance, he might be looking for something in this church. And so even right before evil showed its ugly face, this man was offering empathy and compassion for somebody who was maybe looking for something. He knew what he was looking for. He was looking for murder and chaos in that church. The video that we released on Instagram, which we got, which it got deleted, which I censored, um, talked about 2A. It also banned our live abilities on uh, Instagram. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that account goes down. But in the video, you see the man approach the man in communion. And the daughter stated that the guy with the shotgun, before he showed the shotgun, said to the guy with holding the communion plate, which is the, uh, uh, the offering plate, to put it down. As he was telling him to put it down, he pulled a shotgun and he turned to a man who was a white older gentleman who was attempting what appeared to be drawing a pistol from the back of his belt line. He had moved his coat out of the way and he looked to appear to be drawing the pistol before he was shot. He was the first victim. The second victim was this African-American male where he turned the gun on him while he was holding the plate and shot him. He didn't die immediately. He didn't die on the scene. He actually died in the hospital later. His daughter, I believe, transported him to the hospital and was able to communicate to him and he was communicating back. I believe the man was 64 years old and he was a local nurse just there in church doing the best he could for his community. After he engaged the second male, he turned around and he started maneuvering towards the front of the church with the shotgun at the ready. Within seconds of him turning, he was shot twice, which appeared to be upper torso and potentially even the head. One shot came from a gentleman by the name of Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson was a reserve, former reserve police officer, sheriff uh, uh, officer with the local county. And he was also a former owner of a local firearms academy that taught self-defense. He started maneuvering at the time, acting as a volunteer security guard. He stepped in the aisle towards the suspect and fired one round, which appeared to be beyond 15 yards striking the suspect once in the head. At the same time, a closer parishioner who was armed did the same. They actually fired simultaneously, and both bullets from both guns struck 
the bad guy and killed him instant, instantly. He died right there on the scene. Three people died in total, one of them including the shooter, and two innocent people were killed. At the time of that exchange, there were over 200 people in that church. It wasn't a small church, it was a large church, and they were live streaming to local communities in the, in the area. 200 plus people were saved by the actions of two men that had training, had concealed carry pistols, were exercising their Second Amendment rights and defending good from evil. You imagine if those men weren't there to do what they did, what the circumstance would look like this morning. A ladder shooting, uh, a shooting that took place earlier earlier. Uh, in Texas, 26 people were killed. There was nobody to stop them until after uh, they had already killed 26 people. In that circumstance, there was somebody who uh, stepped in and was acted as the shield. And again, we're not talking about that in, in the media world. We're not mentioning the fact that if this man wasn't armed based on the laws that he was given and exercising as a law-abiding citizen, what would be the case? Nobody wants to talk about it because it doesn't fit the agenda. Thank you to those two men and those two heroes for doing what they did. When I go to Dallas, which has already been planned, has been planned months in advance, which just so happens to be a couple miles from this church, I will go to this church and pay my respects to the victims uh, of this tragic situation and circumstance. I did a video with Sean Ryan. Look, man, our analytics have been blowing up on YouTube. If you haven't checked out our YouTube videos, check them out. On YouTube, it's the Phil Kraft Survival Channel. And I like YouTube so far because they haven't been suppressing my ability to, to exercise my First Amendment rights, right? Which is getting suppressed on Instagram. Now, I'm sure Facebook. I'm sure Facebook will find a way to suppress my First Amendment rights in talking in, on behalf of Second Amendment constitutional rights, or even self-defense, because I mentioned the word gun or the word knife or the uh, word 2A, I'm suppressed. But YouTube's been pretty good at it. Our CQC video that we did with Sean Ryan has almost 300,000 views at this point, and it talks about the benefits of low port versus high port. You know, I'll just give you a snapshot of the, the summary, but uh, I want you to watch the video. I want you to subscribe. I want you to leave feedback. But in early GWAT, the 04, 05, 06 period, we did not do high carry. We didn't do it because we weren't trained to do so in Army Special Operations. In fact, we looked at it as something that the Navy did, and it was Hollywood. There were real reasons why the Navy did what they did. They had high carry or high port because they operated on ships. You can't shoot through the bottom of the ship. You'll sink the ship. So they carried high carrier, high port. They're also operating in confined spaces on sub, on sub, not submarines, on, uh, on small ships and vessels. So they have to be able to maneuver the gun around that space and doing so at the low port or low carry, maneuvering it around people, around obstacles, isn't advantageous tactically. We started realizing this at war. In fact, a former Sephardic instructor who I respect in the community contacted me and said in 2007 in Sephardic, which is the advanced CQB schoolhouse for special operations and special forces, implemented stepping center and the high carry. 
Stepping center is a technique in which I step center of the threshold or the doorway to see a snapshot of what's taking place inside that doorway. Let's say you're standing at the doorway ready to enter the room. Back in the day, we used to just pour and flood in the room. What we would do is the number one man would pour into one corner, the number two man would pour into another corner, and then we would pick up the center with number three and four man. The problem with that tactic is it was utilized for Haas's rescue, where we were using the number one man and number two man to distract the shooters so the number three and four man could pick up the center and potentially take them out. It was used as a diversion tactic because it's not tactically sound in most instances to ignore what's taking place in the center of the room. I got a bad guy with a gun. Do I just ignore him and pretend he doesn't exist? When Haas is rescued, you have to do what you have to do because the priority is moving to the crisis point or to where the hostage is being kept or maybe where even the hostages are being executed. But in this circumstance, they started changing it to stepping center because we knew Al-Qaeda and bad guys were going to commit their lives to the cause, meaning suicide vest, setting up barricaded uh, nested machine guns to shoot everybody who comes to the front door. So we sidestepped into the center of the room to get a snapshot of what we could see. And that gave us an opportunity at the threshold, at the doorway, to stop and assess. Should we continue to engage and penetrate the room? Is it worth it? Do, or do we step out of the way and continue to engage and then drop the structure with a JDAM? The rules of engagement in war allow for this, but in civilian life, stepping center is advantageous because it gives you the opportunity to assess what's going on. Now, hostage scenario, crisis response, completely different consideration. If my kids, if there's a bad guy in my kid's room, I'm not doing much assessing of clearing points of domination or worried about over-penetrating a room. I'm moving to the crisis point and doing my best. But I think stepping center is a tactic to talk about, and I'm super glad that the guy who contacted me let me know the histor historical significance of doing high port versus low port uh, came into effect in special operations. Super important. Today, um, actually, at 1500 today, 3 o'clock p.m. today, Kevin Owens arriving on the scene. Kevin Owens was my mentor in special operations. He was my senior when we were snipers together in the CRIF and the Commander's Response Force or Commander's uh, in Extremist Force. He was also the head instructor, the NCOIC, the non-commissioned officer in charge of Special Forces Sniper School. He's also the man who changed a lot of the tactics for the better that have benefited Special Operations Snipers. He was the USASOC, U.S. Army Special Operations Command G8, which he did the force modernization for weapons, um, bullets, everything. I mean, all equipment for the force. He was the NCIC of about 19 personnel. He just got awarded the Carlos Hathcock Award, which is given to significant snipers who have significant in, uh, uh, influence and positive effect on the regiment and on the uh, sniper community. And he's currently retiring as an active duty master sergeant, and he's going to be a full-time employee of Philcraft Survival. I'm super excited to, to uh, have Kevin Owens on board, Master Sergeant Retired. Um, he's going to be here today. We're going to do some meets and talk about 2020. What's coming in 2020? The first thing that's coming is a lot, of, a lot more prepping and content, meaning we're going to be providing you content that focuses on 
prepping for the long-term state of survival. If you are not prepped, then you are setting yourself up for failure. Being prepared on a daily basis through your everyday carry is one thing, but prepping for the mid to long-term solution is critical in overall survival. And look, I'm not talking about keeping a cache of hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammo, even though that's part of it. More so, I'm talking about considerations in med and pharmaceuticals. Are you a diabetic, type 1, type 2? How much insulin do you have to survive a natural man-made catastrophe? How long can you live off the grid in your current circumstance, in your apartment or condo? Maybe that's your only option. We have alternatives, and we'll be driving the content to give you education in the long-term hustle of prepping. In addition to that, I'm starting the first response course, which will be a two-day course. The first response course, where you are your own first response, will be teaching scenario-based training using CERT and simunitions, using live action role players, and using real facilities and locations where you might find yourself, including homes, institutions, offices, and the list goes on. Because we want to give you an opportunity to exercise in how you manage stress, how you manage critical treatment of trauma, and then addressing uh, yourself in a self-defense scenario. I'm super excited about that course. It's a two-day course, which will be coming to you spring of 2020 called the First Response Course. In addition to that, because Kevin Owens is on board, we will be teaching the long gun. Somebody asked me the other day, why are you teaching uh, people how to be snipers, citizens, how to be snipers? I'm not teaching citizens to be snipers. Sniper craft is a completely different consideration, which includes field craft, which includes uh, stalking procedures, which includes observation techniques, uh, techniques, tactics, and procedures. What I'm doing is what every American should know is how to operate a long gun, how to take advantage of a variable optic and magnification attached to a long gun that has a higher muzzle velocity and long-range trajectory potential to engage a threat at distance. And I think every citizen, whether that's hunting, sport shooting, or defending your life, should understand that relationship. I think long guns are more dangerous than short guns. If you had to give me the option of taking a 308 gas gun versus an AK-47, I'm taking that 308 gas gun with a variable magnified optic every single time. Looking forward to those courses. Also, we're doing military and law enforcement courses only in 2020. We got some military contracts. We are the only United States-based training apparatus for Accuracy First. If you don't know what Accuracy First is, please look it up. Todd Hodnett has given us permission underneath Kevin Owens to teach uh, Todd Hodnett's and Accuracy First period of instruction, which includes the Horus Reticle and its relationship to the ATRAG or the Ballistic Calculator, where you could learn how to shoot your long gun out to 1,000 meters. We've ran that course two or three times in 2019, and we had novice to beginner train, uh, 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 training students who have shot or who are shooting out to 1,000 meters with deer rifles. Deer rifles out to 1,000 meters. We have a ballistic class the first day and a range class the second day. And we're super looking forward to that in 2020. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Tactical Review Podcast, guys. I appreciate all you guys' feedback, all you guys' responses. If you guys want to hit us up on info at philcraftsrevival.com or our DMs, our direct messaging on Instagram or Facebook as well, make sure you hit us up for any feedback and questions that you do have. philcraftsrevival.com. If you want to support this podcast at Venmo, um, make sure you go, go to at philcraft on Venmo to no, donate. Uh, we just stepped up our game uh, on mics. We're running sure mics now. Uh, so hopefully you hear the difference and this always continues to improve. I'm looking forward to the next podcast. We're doing a podcast on New Year's on 2020 for um, our plans in 2020 and just New, Year, New Year's resolutions. And you guys can stay tuned to that. Kevin Owens will be the guest on that podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in on Facebook. Uh, sorry, sorry you couldn't tune in on Instagram. We just got banned off of that again. But Facebook is still able and running, so we can continue to do that. Um, I got some feedback on uh, Facebook. I'll read a couple of it. It says, maybe LEO should carry SIG MPX and 6.8 in SBR form, provided they're trained uh, or high train more often to place rounds on target. Um, I think that's a consideration, man. I think any gun besides the pistols that they're using in 9 mil, 40, and 45 are better. Question, first responders and long gun courses, any chances you'll be doing more TCCC? We will be doing more TCCC. Let me, let me state this real quick before I go. Tactical combat casualty carry is the best certified training you can get in treating trauma, which is stop the bleed, applying tourniquets, stuffing gunshot wounds. TCCC is the best training. We have offered that course where I have flown an NAEMT certified instructor out here to Prescott from Florida, spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars after paid travel tickets and expenses and had two people sign up for the course. Two people. Nobody wants to do med training because it's not cool. It doesn't gram well. But I will tell you that the most, most important training that you could do and statistically probable that you'll exercise and apply in real life is medical training. Specifically, stopping the bleed. I always carry a CAT 7 tourniquet inside my kit, which is my Patagonia uh, Atom 8-liter uh, bag with my pistol because I understand what uh, circumstances I'm more likely to run into, whether that's bleeding myself from traumatic injury or bleeding from somebody else. I want to be prepared. And you have to be prepared by going to training. Train, train, train. That's right, Gary. Train, train, train. Thanks, guys, for tuning in to the Tactical Review Podcast. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive. Stay alive.